Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. As well as this being the second Sunday of the Advent season, it's also a season when we're transitioning from reading Mark's gospel as our main framework for planning worship together to reading Luke's gospel um, as that framework for telling the story of Jesus throughout the coming year. And so last week we began with the very end of Luke's gospel, and this week we're going all the way back to the very, very beginning. We're starting with chapter 1, verse 1. I should say that Luke's nativity, the whole idea of the birth of Jesus, is the most involved of all the gospel stories. Luke actually tells intricate stories of two impossible births, two births that should not be able to happen, and those two stories are interwoven quite artfully. I have to say that over the next several weeks, we're going to untangle those stories and undoubtedly do some literary damage But we can't read it all in one sitting, so because we have to break it up, we're going to break them apart for the sake of just telling one story at a time, one story per Sunday. There's an unusual feature in Luke's gospel in that the narrator of the gospel, Luke's own self, introduces himself to us at the start of the writing. It's, uh, he says he's not an eyewitness to what happened with Jesus, but he is a kind of scholar reporter, and he's just trying to get things right. I have a lot of appreciation for Luke, just trying to get things right. And he addresses his account to someone we don't know, most excellent Theophilus, he says. And Theophilus uh, might be an actual person, the, perhaps the patron who commissioned This gospel paid Luke to do this work. We don't know. But it's also the case that Theophilus is a compound word in Greek. Theo meaning God and phileo meaning love, like Philadelphia. So that Theophilus Theophilus could be a made-up name that means either beloved by God or lover of God. It works both ways which says to me that perhaps this gospel is addressed to anyone who is beloved by God and anyone who loves God, meaning that I am Theophilus when I'm reading Luke, and so are you. And it means that Luke has done all this work for our sake. So let this be the first gift of the season. Merry Christmas from Luke to all of us, beloved by God, loving God. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And both were getting on in years. Once when Zechariah was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, he must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now... Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. Now, after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace that I have endured among my people. And now we're going to skip a long section of Luke chapter 1 where Gabriel makes another visit, this time to Mary. And then Mary visits Elizabeth and Zechariah and the baby's futures are entwined from their very beginning. And then Mary goes home and we're going to come back to that in a couple Sundays. We're skipping ahead to verse 57 of this chapter. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives has this name. 
Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, listen to Elizabeth. <laughs> he wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm thinking they had a whole system set up, you know, a schedule. There were probably chalk marks on the bricks of the wall to keep track of which section of priests had done it last and which section was up next. Zachariah's section was on duty that day, and then they played some ancient version of rock, paper, scissors to see which man's turn it was to go in. I don't know, altar, goat, knife? Anyway, every day, a couple times a day, some lucky priest went behind the curtain into the holiest part of the temple, that holy place, a place where most priests only got to go like once in their whole lifetime. And the priest would carry incense in there with him and then light it up on an altar that was specially for that and then calm that flame down until it was a burning, smoking ember. The thinking was that as the scented smoke ascended to the heavens, it would carry the prayers of the people upward to God. It was a great honor to be the one who carried the fire and midwifed the people's prayers to God's heart. That's why Luke reports that at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And that's why Zechariah, this afternoon's incense bearer, was praying as well. They were capitalizing on the incense, the smoke, to carry all those prayers. And it's while all this praying is happening, while all that smoke is going up, that Gabriel, God's own messenger, shows up right there, just apparates right on into that holy place and says, okay, today's the day. You've been doing all this praying for such a long time. And I'm here to announce that God is ready to give you, to give all the people what you've been asking for. How cool is that? Go, Zachariah. It's your birthday. Go, Elizabeth. It's your birthday. Go, Israel. It's your birthday. Go, John. It's going to be your birthday. And then pretty quickly, Gabriel realizes that Zachariah is just not into it. So the messenger moves on, giving tips for how to raise a kid who is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as this baby will be. Like, okay, listen, don't, seriously, don't let him drink. (laughs) Because he's going to have, like, so much Holy Spirit in him that people are going to look for any excuse to explain away his weird behavior. The Holy Spirit makes you kind of wild and unpredictable. So prophets of the Most High need to stay sober. Their lives are dizzying enough. Zachariah is just standing there. He's not taking notes or anything. And finally, Gabriel pauses and says, are you getting this, Zeke? Are you even awake? And Zachariah says, I, you know, I just, I, I just, 
I'm sorry, I just can't quite see it. We're both pretty old, the wife and I. How are we supposed to have a baby again? Listen, church, do not get me started on how old Zeke and Liz might actually have been. I mean, I really don't think that you have to conjure geriatric sex in your mind's eye. Although now that I've said it, you definitely have. You, you, just, you just have to imagine with some compassion that Liz and Zeke have been married for a long, long time. I mean, since they were kids in our estimation, right? And that they have wished for kids of their own for their whole marriage. And they have had false alarms and they have had miscarriages. And she has been counting the days between periods and trying all kinds of weird folk remedies. And bless her, she's been enduring all manner of advice from well-meaning relatives and friends for, like, decades. Because it's mostly on her, of course. She is the one who is barren, as ancient biology doesn't know from low sperm count. What it all adds up to is that on countless days, just like today, Zachariah and Elizabeth have been among the people standing outside while the lucky priest lights the incense in the holiest place. I mean, for years, for years they have smelled their prayers for a child floating to heaven on that smoke. And while they do not understand why God has not given them the desire of their hearts over time, Well, over time, they've become resigned to it. So resigned, in fact, that when God interrupts the routine of everyday prayer with an answer to that exact prayer, <laughs> Zachariah can't believe it. He just cannot. Or at least, not without at least a little pushback. Are you sure? Gabriel, are you sure about that? Are you sure this one is for me? I mean, you weren't expecting some younger, more virile priest to be in here this time. It just goes to show, I, there, are prayers, there are prayers that are so long prayed for, but it's hard to believe it. It's hard to even see it when the answer comes. You pray so long for a broken relationship to be reconciled that you cannot recognize the olive branch when it's offered. You pray for progress of all kinds in your own life or in the life of someone you feel responsible for, and that progress is so incremental as to be invisible to the eyes of your heart. You pray for peace or wisdom or courage, or forgiveness, the righteous routine of your prayer potentially, get this, impeding the work of God to give you exactly those things. <laughs> you pray for companionship, for love, for an end to loneliness, for people to share your life with, and here we all are. But it can be really hard to see. Isn't it weird? Or maybe it's not weird. 
that a religious routine such as regular prayer could morph into a habit so cemented, so taken for granted, that it actually becomes a barrier to the work of God in the world, in your very own longing life. Religious habit has a way of getting in our way, getting between us and God's work. It's weird. Maybe it's not weird. Either way, Gabriel is not amused. <laughs> a rather short-tempered messenger from God on this occasion, if you ask me, he, she, they will be much gentler with young Mary at another annunciation a few months later, perhaps because Zachariah is not only a grown-ass adult, but also a priest, someone who should model unquestioning faith with no trace of doubt to dull his enthusiasm for answered prayer. I, for one, am glad to be Zachariah's colleague, the doubting priest who prays anyway, even when he's not sure that God is really listening. By the close of Zechariah's chapter in this story, he will, of course, believe it hard, <laughs> believe it with his whole old, unresigned heart. Namely, he will believe that God is an interrupting God. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is narrated by our researcher Luke as a sequence of interruptions, if you think about it. Gabriel interrupts the routine prayers in the temple with an actual answer from God so unexpected it almost can't be believed. Gabriel's interruption is vindicated by the interruption nine months later of Liz and Zeke's settled late middle age baby. Newborns are an interruption at any age, to be sure. But believe me, believe me when I tell you, it would be a special shock to the system of any 50-plus-year-old with a habit of going to bed at 8.30 and getting up five times a night to tend to their own liquid management systems. Don't ask me to do that for a baby, not anymore. Bless their hearts. And this particular baby, Gabriel says, this baby will himself be an interrupter of the prayers of all the people. He will announce that their prayers have been heard, that God is ready now to redeem God's people, that they must stop business as usual, religion as usual, life as usual, and be ready for God to break into history, to emerge through the smoky haze of prayer, to pierce the monotony of their long waiting, to bring them everything they've asked for. John, John will interrupt everyone who listens to him, and if they don't listen, he's just going to shout louder. The Holy Spirit he'll be born with will make sure he is heard. For now, for now and for a little while, all Elizabeth and Zechariah have to do is let their lives be interrupted by John's arrival. Oh, and they will, and gladly, they will both have a name for what God is doing in their lives and in the life of the world. Elizabeth will say, this is what the Lord has done for me, and her neighbors and relatives will take her cue and rejoice, quote, that the Lord has shown great mercy to her.
Zechariah, when he finally gets to talk again, will also call it mercy. Thus the Lord has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, he'll say, or sing. And again, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. Because that's what it's called. When God answers the cries of our hearts. When God answers our prayers, when God responds to the heartaches and frees us from want, from wait, from waiting, it's called mercy. It's merciful when God is attentive to our prayers. It's merciful when God interrupts our routine. It's merciful when God comes to us, disrupts us, keeps us up at night, doesn't leave us as God found us. Even if it takes a long damn time, long past the point of our own expectation that God is doing anything at all. Zechariah's song contains one of the loveliest images of God that I know. That tender mercy of God that he refers to, it's the tenderness, the tender part that draws me in, the, the tenderness of an old priest making love to his old wife in the dark, the tenderness of a new parent swaddling their child still warm from the womb. The tenderness of God inhaling the perfumed prayers of all the people. Prayers for liberation from their oppressors. Prayers for strength to make it through another day. Prayers for sobriety and pain relief and debt relief and for the kids to make it home safe. Prayers for every imaginable hunger of the human heart mingled with the smoke ascending to God's tender heart by the tender mercy of our God Zechariah says and this is what I want to believe in the quality of God I most want to know but that tenderness of God it doesn't always look like you think it will Luke has learned that through his research. Zachariah and Elizabeth will learn that through their experience. That baby, <laughs> that baby grows up and runs away from home to live in the desert and then comes back shouting a hardcore message of repentance and half drowning their neighbors in the river in the name of God's tender mercy. The redemption these people have been praying for forever is indeed on its way, but it looks more like the loving of enemies than the vanquishing of them. God interrupts our prayers to answer them, yes, but by God's tender mercy, the answer is not necessarily what we want, but what God wants again and again and again in God's endless hope that our own hearts will yield to the tender mercies of God's interruptions. So, pray, beloveds. Pray and trust that your sometimes doubting priest prays with and for you, too. Pray beyond the point of your own belief 
or mine in the power of prayer. Pray in hopes that God will interrupt your praying. Pray for the tender mercy of God to interrupt your life the way dawn interrupts darkness. Pray for the tender mercy of our God to interrupt history, to interrupt our timeline, to interrupt this world, to break in with our redemption from the hopelessness that holds us now. And if it takes a long damn time, keep praying and wait for it with all the praying people of God. We will wait. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.